are you drinking this evening? Um, I'm buying, I'm drinking, I'm buying. I bought a pre-made margarita mix because I'm mm. retarded and I don't want to buy like the mixer and the tequila and everything separate. So um, yeah, it was like a spur of the moment sprouts Ooh. purchase. And then Is I it- actually got carded, which was nice. Uh, nice. <laughs> I love that. Uh, a man said young man to me today. An older gentleman said after oh. you, young man. And I was yes. like, thank you, sir. <laughs> As a geezer, it feels good, doesn't it? Uh, wait, is it Cutwater? What what brand is no, it? No, um, it comes in like a wine. It was in like the white wine section. Oh, nice. It was okay. Mark, it was, yeah. Before I introduce you, one quick question. Yeah. In Texas, what's the liquor situation? How do you acquire liquor? Because in California, you know, we're very spoiled. We can go to Target and buy like enough liquor to kill ourselves if we wanted to. But other states have different policies. What's the deal there? So I know you can buy beer and wine like at Walmart and Target. And at Costco, they have a separate liquor entrance and a liquor area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. I'm not a big liquor drinker though. I'm like true to my age. I'm like a white wine and um, <laughs> red wine lady. And I really only drink on the weekends. But yeah, now that you mention it, I haven't seen any hard alcohol in stores, mm-hmm. just wine and beer. Oh, but yes. they have like um, white claw and all that crap. So so it's probably like yeah. New York and Florida where percentage. there's like percentage. Yeah. yeah. So it's crazy in New York state. You have to go to like one store for beer and wine, but you can't. Okay. Then you have to go to another store for liquor, but there's no mixers at the liquor store. The liquor store is like just for liquor. It doesn't and no beer, but there is some wine. It's so fucking harebrained. If you want to make one drink, it's like this whole triangulation. It's like <laughs> snowing. You're like, like just getting your GPS out and crying. But and I don't really drink either, except sometimes when I'm around family or, or recording. I did not do the white wine spritzer. I did um, my signature, oh. can, you can't really see it, but it's a uh, Campari and cola. And, well, there's not gin in it. It, it should. I, I don't want to drink like hard liquor <laughs> either right yeah. now. But I uh, it would be like a Negroni Pulhousio. I, I don't know. It, mm. I don't think it has a name. I've been trying to see if this drink exists. Gin, cola, Campari. I can't find a trace of it. ChatGPT tried to gaslight me and say it was called a like the Groni Spagliaccio or whatever that fucking drink is, you know? And I was like, no, that's with champagne or whatever. That's not what this is. And I asked it and I was like, oh, sorry for my confusion. Have you heard of a drink like that? No, but it sounds delicious, um, but also hangover inducing, possibly. Like, I feel like mm. all the brown liquors. Wait, oh, you said you made it with gin. So it's well, actually it's, not. There's no gin, oh, no, there's in, no... but this one's okay. just Campari, which is like kind of aperitif or whatever. Right, it's right, like, right. Uh, so it's a clear. It's clear, yeah. It's red. It's oh. red. Isn't it so great? It's like that really bitter. Like, a lot of people pretend to like Campari, but I actually do enjoy it. It's sort of like Aperol, but it's a little bit more. Yeah, it's that same I like family. Aperol spritz. Yeah, I love an Aperol too. spritz. Uh, Me too. Sweet The last and time refreshing. I was in the city, I had uh, one of those at that, now I can't remember the name of that, the old Italian um, restaurant that used to be in the Tenderloin and then it was relocated to oh. North Beach. You know which place I'm talking about? You're not talking about um, Original Joe's, one of my yes. favorite. Wait, uh, Original yes, Joe's? I I yeah, 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 yeah. I used I, to I, go to the OG one when it had like red vinyl boots and it was like all Art Deco inside and the Tenderloin. Did you ever? I've never been to that one. No, I've been to the Original. There's another original Joe's in San Jose. There's like several original Joe's. There's actually, and there's like an original uh, Joe's in in Napa. We're way down a rabbit hole here, but there are so many, like there's a whole thing about the original Joe's because they're all like no worthy original Joe. And it's like, you can't all 
be the original Joe. One of you is, <laughs> most of you are lying. It's so confusing. Um, speaking of things that are delightfully sweet and refreshing, like a Aperol spritz on a summer's day, I'm joined this evening by a breath of fresh air, a true delight, somebody who I am so happy has returned. And I apologize. It's been way too long. This is an oversight and omission on my part, although, you know, this guest has been going through a, a bit of a transition, we'll say. I'll, I'll set it up that way so they think that you're, you're a tranny. <laughs> My guest this evening is the singular, uh, the fan favorite, the dead mother, I would almost say, to the Backlash clan, even though she's not really that much older than me, but that's okay. She's still the mother figure, the, the Wendy to our Lost Boys, Spendy O. Williams. Welcome back to Here Comes the Backlash. Oh, thank you. I don't know how I can recover from being gassed up so much. <laughs> that was amazing. I really how, appreciate it. <laughs> how we roll around here. I gas you up and I tear you down and then we reprogram <laughs> you and we mold you in my image. Just kidding. That would be psycho. Spendy, how are you? I, I hinted at a transition. Spendy is not a tranny. Some people might think that, you know, you're kind of gay coded. You have kind of a diva-esque uh, fabulosity about you. And so I think a lot of people are suspicious of that in, in women these days in general, but she's the real deal, ladies and gentlemen. It's a shame this is a podcast because she's radiant and glowing for me this evening from Texas. Oh, thank you. What's going on in Texas? Well, it's actually finally cooled down. I made it through the, the horrible baptism by almost literal fire and moving here in the end of spring. And then every day it was like a hundred degrees mm. up until a week ago. So uh, I've been spending a lot of time inside, but my neighbor yeah. really explained it to me in a way that made me feel better. Cause you know, when you're coming from California, like you're, you just take it for granted that it's like nice 98 percent of the time mm -hmm. and when it's mm -hmm. not it's just like raining and nothing crazy really happens um but my neighbor is from michigan and she said to Ooh. me oh that must have been an insane change for you to come from somewhere so cold and um snowy and she's like not really because you just spend most of the time when it's like that inside and it's the same thing with texas like during the mm. hottest season you're just like going from your car to your house or to the store to your car you're not like hanging out outside mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i did get a really bad sunburn the first week we oh no <laughs> <laughs> um it's not that exciting of a story but well, um i haven't been it, sunburned since i was a child so i was gonna like, say was it your crazy. first sunburn you're famously a po a, a white poc i guess I am, we could at least say you know white poc and so you're probably not used to sunburning i'm getting into race science you're a person of the sun right or we can say that that yeah. you are like Persian, yes. right? Yeah, a, yeah, a Persian yeah. descent, a great, I'm not great empire. <laughs> of course, why, and why should you? You're from the great tribes of antiquity. It's a blessing We're and the true honor. Aryans, the true Aryans. <laughs> well, okay, well, I can't get into the race science, but there is a nobility to all, there's a nobility to all peoples. Let's just say that. But there is, I think from that era, there's a, a special, from this Bronze Age, people like you, uh, our Neobactrian, which I, I <laughs> hesitate to bring up. I think he blocked you, and I don't know if that's ever been resolve I think the he unblocked me yeah uh, thank yeah. goodness see harmony <laughs> in the cosmos uh, because there's people uh, radiant people you're all from the uh from the Ron's age in a sense you know yeah I think uh, that's what I was telling myself before we moved here that of all of the climates I'm probably best suited to this one because anthropologically mm -hmm, biologically it's in my DNA mm. to withstand 120 degree heat so I think I've no. adapted pretty well 
No, actually, I believe Dallas is on the 33rd parallel. And I think Baghdad, Iraq is also. So my race science tree is based on uh, like parallaxes. I know what to say. It's like there's upper peoples, there's middle peoples, and there's lower peoples. Light, tan, dark. It's yeah. And then there's three ages. It gets a little bit more complicated. But yeah, I feel like you are in a good spot for your for yourself. And, and you yeah. never lose your California status when you're OG. Like we are. I feel like... Uh, I always felt cheated that we didn't have seasons. I thought. Yes. And then when I experienced seasons, I was like, no, this is better. Like, <laughs> I'm fine with like, whatever. Are you moving into a fall? Are you feeling like a pumpkin spice latte Christian mom for the first time? Oh, like, what's it yes. going on? I'm really <laughs> just embracing my inner basic bitch that I like couldn't ever let out in California in my <laughs> um, 1940s home in the um, little bungalow that we had. But now as I told you a little bit off air this like farmhouse vibe. Nice. <laughs> you're gonna have to pry it uh out of my cold dead hands i have a wreath i'm gonna start a wreath collection soon um we, there's pumpkins nice. on it i have a sign now in my front, front Ooh, area what does the sign say it says trick or treat it's not oh, that exciting yeah, but it's one of these <laughs> i thought i was gonna say like in this house we believe guns are we have the right to bear arms i don't know i thought you maybe leaned in <laughs> i haven't gone that hard yet but um considering it i might just start out with like a c.s lewis quote first but um about do yeah, not so come the famous kamala harris quote where she was like do not come maybe what that since you're in i don't think you're near the border but i mean if they even get no, to where no. you are it's too far yes it is um <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i, I we have pumpkins and, and, uh, what what else is going on with my front door um yes yeah, do you feel embraced like, do you feel regarded with suspicion as a fleeing californian you're kind of a cultural like thing people know about fleeing californians and like how I, are you received uh it's like 50 50 so <laughs> you just wait for like the look on someone's face <laughs> when you say it and then i'll throw in like refugee <laughs> 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 or they'll like start suggesting like good vegan places to me and i'm like i'm not in i'm not that kind of californian <laughs> yeah. sorry i mean we are near a city so it's like still you know it's it's actually <laughs> less conservative. Yeah, less conservative than I initiated initially thought it would be. <laughs> but like a lot of people go to church here and they're just generally yeah. definitely more conservative than California, right? Or at least like but, the coastal, like our, our belts of California. Yeah. There is that whole yeah. It's probably more like our eastern brethren who do not want to claim association with us. The the Californians of the north and the east, yes. uh, you know, they yeah. are a bit more rugged and, and individualistic, which I admire. I think it's actually good to be in a situation where you're not immediately just being accepted and you have to earn it because I as a faggot in quote unquote right wing circles which is all more faggotry but anyway as a faggot <laughs> on the right wing or whatever you know a lot of people have distrust for me I'm I, I, whatever like I feel like that's okay they should you should not trust faggots ever you at first, at first, you should make them earn it. And I feel good to it because I'd say, you don't have to accept me. I don't care. But here's what I stand for. And if you actually stand for the things that you say to, if we happen to agree, then you probably should also stand with me. But if you can't because it's petty and you're like, whatever, then whatever, then you're a faggot leftist, like I thought. Yes. But anyway, yeah. you know, so it's like kind of good. Like you actually, like you have actually the power, I feel like, in that dynamic because you get to earn it, the respect. And if the people don't want to give it to you, then like, fuck them. They're not even real Texans. That's right. I, it, the funny thing is that because I was like born and raised here, my parents are immigrants, but my real name is a long foreign sounding name. And 
I changed my last name to my husband's last name, which is like a English name, but my first name on my driver's license is still like long and crazy. And when I introduce myself to people, I use like my Americanized um, nickname, which I've gone by since I was like five years old. Nobody could say like my real name. And then like, I had to take uh, my kids to like this church thing, like a science class, but it's in a church. And the woman asked for my ID and she had known me by my name. I introduced myself as, and then she was like, California ID combined with like this funky ass, like unpronounceable name. And she's like, oh, so you and your your husband had different names, huh? And I was like, oh, I actually just changed my last name, but um, yeah. That's uh, so funny. She calls the like FBI. She's like, we got San Bernardino part two over here. That's really funny. Cause in California it's, so common. How many people, like, did you know, like, from so many different backgrounds that, like, uh, when you grow up, especially, yeah, in, in California, uh, people with foreign sounding last names, yeah. or, like, or better, uh, people whose parents weren't necessarily born here, or maybe they weren't born here, and they're born uh, with a name of uh, their their place of origin. They come here, and a lot of them will not go by, like, a long tiki to be like, kind of name, because it's just, like, it feels <laughs> weird. Then they're yes. like, I want to be like Tim, and everyone's okay, Tim. I think a really good process. You're very used to it here in Texas. I would think they've seen that sometimes, but, like, whatever. I don't know. I think they're just confused because, like, I don't register as, like, foreign necessarily. This is true, yes. And then they see my name and they're like, is that Vietnamese? (laughs) I'm just like, no, I'm Persian. (laughs) The struggles of a white POC. These are the things you will not hear anywhere else, ladies and gentlemen. No one (laughs) wants to talk about it. Or even the struggles of a a, a mocha chocolate POC, of undefinable origin like myself. It sounds like you're doing great in Texas. Wait, oh, I do want to know, are you planning to go to Friday Night Lights? I love Friday Night Lights. I just, I want to live it like so bad. I want to come and visit you and go see a football game <laughs> well i would love you to come and visit me but i it's funny because everyone has asked us like if we're going to a rangers game and i was like i don't even know who that is and like i don't, i've never paid any attention to sports and my husband mm-hmm. is not into sport because you know we're both sure, we, in baseball especially is we like, grew up in the rough. same yeah we met out like he was a bartender so like you're um, yeah you're neither of us were yeah, no. like um it, doing that thing um and so yeah it's really big here football's huge um but yeah i don't really have any interest and also mm. the dallas cowboys suck so like yeah no no you need to do the local like the local high I'll school go to the like, rodeo i think you need to i think you need to lean into the football thing because it, it probably could be fun i i don't know we'll, we'll, we'll get there i think start with the rodeo that's always a, a hee-haw good time yeah but i was gonna say when you do want to kind of fit in just say that you love mm. california because they're trying to trans your kids be like oh we need to leave before they trans our kids am i right <laughs> that'll weed them out well <laughs> I don't know if I told you, but we're near like a college town and like because it's in the South and because it's a red state and because this area is primarily Republican voting, the college towns are just off the fucking wall, like Hicklin Mm. style. Mm. So like they Mm go fucking Mm -hmm. too hard in the paint with their shit. So every business you Mm. walk into 
giant trans flag, yes. people wearing pronouns mm. on their badges at a like a mm-hmm. rock climbing gym. I'm like, why do I need to know your fucking pronouns? It's just we like, already know this is a lesbian hub. But you yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like every single, the record, the bookstore has a pride flag. Interesting. Like, Inter- I never saw that in San Francisco. It's just very strange to me. I- there is definitely something to add. Cassandra, a friend of the pod, posts about this a lot from her Blue Island adventures. And I'm familiar with the Blue Island region myself. You're right. It's like ham-fisted over the top like there's a genocide going on outside the borders of this town but in this coffee shop you shall get respite and we will take you in for 5.95 per latte and you can even stay here for 45 minutes before a bum comes in to try to kill you or rape you or pee on you you know that's like the comfort and safety you know that they're offering the, the marginalized uh victims of uh the the biggest corporate it's agenda so ever seen in my life <laughs> like the, the, there was a tattoo parlor that you had to like ring Oof. to get in and at the bottom of the Ooh. window they had a like uh hate is not welcome here no bigotry no racism i was like who's gonna come in there and just be like yeah and so like start talking shit like well, it's a tattoo parlor first of all like i don't it just I seems so weird like that is you know, funny i should just put yeah. a refugees welcome sign on no well door. seriously as a like faggot american as a person who does not agree with the whole movement the agenda i don't feel safe in those spaces i mean i see yeah safe space i don't feel safe but i also want like a business of my own maybe a little storefront where it's like hate is welcome like <laughs> hate is okay maybe not welcome but like hate <laughs> is okay like or hate happens Sometimes hate yeah. happens, you know, yeah. you have to live in it. You just need to get it out. It's holding it in. Is, what's that going to do? It's not going to help. Just let it out. Just It's so weird. Hate. It's so the, <laughs> like those like signs are just like always in the most lib areas. And Ugh. you're just like, who, who's hating on anything? Like, who are you preventing from coming in here? Like some like Nazi with swastikas all over his jacket was about mm-hmm. to kick mm-hmm. down your door and like order uh, some pho. But now he saw your sign and he's decided <laughs> to take his business elsewhere. People who you cannot speak against them in any sort of a public setting, corporate setting, political setting, media setting. Uh, the entire corporate establishment, the military industrial complex, everybody has the backings of these poor marginalized people who are being genocided at a rate. I believe it was 22 last year in 2022. There was 22 as a record year of murders or I'm sorry, it was like, violent deaths some of these are domestic violence you know some of these are but yeah, there was one that was a hit and run you. Yeah, like. <laughs> let's not get on the race on race statistic piece of the uh the, oh sorry the, the i thought TQ. we were talking about trannies still no we are but there is oh, but yeah, like, okay. when you actually look at it it's like okay oh, yes, these trains are killed and they're killed by yes, like yeah, a black tranny killed by a yeah. black man or a latino so it's okay 22 again i just want to stress it is the number and then they'll say like oh no they're being targeted through like this the legislatures and it's like most of these laws are just about children and that's again is a made-up thing you made up trans kids five minutes ago it is not real it's so frustrating and so it's like this is doom spiral you can't argue you can't do anything with these people it's just it's like circular logic based on like and i I don't i don't know what to do spendy i don't know what to do I don't either. I know. I just ha- you have to disengage, but it's terrible when it's like you can't get away from it. It's just everywhere. Like I thought at least here there'd be like some respite, but it's I don't even want to go to this stupid little college town with their cute candy stores <laughs> and their like brunch places because I just don't want to be around that shit all the time. I'm trying to avoid that. I For want sure. a, like a honky tonk bar. I want uh, somewhere that like someone's going to judge me because I have brown <laughs> eyes and brown hair. 
you want some low friends in low places, you know, yeah, with a whiskey you drowns. around here, are you? Yes. As soon as you drop the you guys, they're just like, I can't do y'all yet. It's I haven't been here long enough. Y'all, dis- listen, y'all. Disgenuine. As a person who has not been from around here many a time, there's no better feeling again than when you were not from around here, but everyone loves you anyway by the end of the night. It, all this like feelings politics is such bullshit because it's all based on projections. So it's not even based in reality. Feel, yes, some people might be uncomfortable around you. Explain yourself. Don't boss them around and make demands of them. And they might even fucking listen and go along with you. This always happens when we get together. We, <laughs> oh, so we, okay. Eventually, soon we'll have a full house, a pool house network. I'm thinking, and so we'll have like definitely like um, a morning show. What I'm picturing is basically a, a network, a channel, and it's just all pool house. There'll be shows all all day, every day. <laughs> I, I would love that. I'm I think it's a good I'm idea. Be your first subscriber. <laughs> I'm trying to talk to Ted Turner. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But I think I'm gonna have a morning show, like a midday show, a soap opera. I don't have to be in the soap opera. It's loosely based on my life, you know, but I can make appearances. I'll give me an hour off for the evening news and whatnot, you know, late oh night God. shows, turf island updates uh, yes. with, uh, with our British friends. We'll, we'll come in with Spendy, the Spendy. How, I don't know why I wanted you to be like the the rush hour person, which sounds like a, kind of like a, a not a great job, but they actually have like the funnest names, first of all. And they're in the helicopter. That's like, that's actually dangerous. I don't want you doing that. I would like you to be our, our turf course, our turf correspondent instead. Oh, I'm happy. I would be honored to have that position. <laughs> turf slash, I'm going to say high punk priestess actually when i'm using punk here like people get so gay about genres these days i'm using this in a more um broad way but we kind of came of age in the late 90s to early 2000s was like the last version of that it was actually the apotheosis of like several decades maybe it wasn't like the greatest uh coolest part of it or whatever but it was really like crystallization of 50 years of culture essentially like all into one thing it was at the end of the zeitgeist kind of that was the real end of history do you feel like that was kind of like true yeah of course when you're like in the midst of it you're not really aware of what of how impactful it actually is and i thought had thought about first was like during the initial like dot com phase was that like clubs started closing down there was less mm. like live music venues mm-hmm. and thinking about how that was like going to be the end of rock and roll and i mean it happened it came mm-hmm. back for a while mm-hmm. i think this was like 99 2000 cuz i'm fucking super old Ooh. um and, and then things came back and then the second wave of the dot com came and then every like bar became like a sports bar and all the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, i guess they're starting to like have more music venues but like when you look back on it really i think the last era of like rock and roll um 
it was like 2004. Like it kind of ended then. Like the dance music part of it was even shorter. It was like, I got like electro period from like what, 2002 to like 2004? It was like six months. Yeah, no, you're right. (laughs) It shifted though. Like there was definitely uh, an EDM kind of phase, but the kind of like the cool, the rock and roll dance version of it, it was very short lived. It was a very self contained era. You struck a lot, you struck a chord there. One thing I would like to say is that just because uh, we were at the end of that one and we feel old, we don't have to because that was the death of being old. Also, everything's infantilized. Like the whole game now is just it's fake we look amazing is what i'm trying to say but it also doesn't even matter like it it literally doesn't matter everyone's like playing by these numbers games my biggest message to young people is it does not matter it never did but it really does not matter now but and like we were there i feel like we were like last yeah gasp of i don't even know what to call it it's not really that authentic in some ways but it was like a moment about authenticity the whole thing was like being considered real and cool and not being a sellout and not being like yeah, uh, you never status hear quo. People, nobody yeah. I, I haven't heard the term sellout in two decades like nobody never that used to be like the death knell if you sold out like that was the end of you your credibility mm-hmm. and now it's not even a thing like people would love to sell out they do right the, I, I was gonna say that in that book the one of the most refreshing things I didn't see a lot of post hoc like um morale moralization though the talking about me too or anything and that made it really feel like real for me because people were being smarmy and hooking up and doing whatever and fucking people over and um but you didn't hear a lot of like oh this guy was a misogynist or that there was no like moral tale that they were trying to to say about that the actors involved in this that scene you know Mm -hmm. that's really interesting because you're right and i think there's something to this like we're i guess we're from this like dovetailing like a young gen x ancient millennial kind of like a curb era let's say like in between these ages and there's something about people i think from that age that do like despise like political correctness is the bush era like was not really about that it was kind of a backlash against that and it's funny because i think about um ryan adams who's from that era like comes from that scene and he does get canceled but it's by some like young zoomer or like a young millennial or whatever right it's not like a contemporary really of his she's much much younger right? but like it's it is interesting because that was not an age of like it was actually kind of transgressive honestly it was yeah like I, anything goes it was true like rock and roll in that sense and punk in that spirit of like like middle finger we don't give a fuck which what you would expect punk to be now you expect punk to be like hey fuck these mandates fuck the government fuck lockdowns because it's killing yeah. our music venues whereas, whereas instead it's a an endorsement of all those things our age was we still don't tolerate it i think in some ways i guess where it's we can't speak for everyone yeah i i was really surprised that during covid that like there weren't any like I think there was maybe some like dance stuff that was happening like underground towards the mm-hmm, end of it. Mm-hmm. But when you look out and see who's wearing masks still, it's like young people, really young people that are the, besides the obese ones, uh, most of mm-hmm. them are probably have 0.0001% chance of getting any of it really affecting them in any uh, important way. And so I thought that like, God, if this had happened when I was in my twenties, no fucking way I would have stayed at home, but there was no peer mm-hmm, pressure mm-hmm. to like do, to do, I would like, mm-hmm. we would sneak alcohol into 
bars when we were under 21, there was like um pop scene, right? It was 18 and over, right? Yes. We would like, um, I don't know if we talked about this last time, but like- We should talk about it. Let's let's talk about pop scene, I guess. It's at, it was at 330 Rich, right? It was the like, long-term yeah. location and yeah. it's 18 and up. It is, I guess they build it as like Brit pop indie dance kind of party. It's akin to what they have in England. They have these like school disco or indie disco yeah. kind of things where you're hearing like your new order, like, right, your Smiths, your Britpop or whatever. Um, and then as a decade progressed, as we got to the turn of the century, my pop scene era, like a, a White Stripes, a, a Strokes yes. maybe, um, yeah. and a little Electro Clash moment. In fact, I I'll get into it. I brought Electro Clash to uh, Pops. <gasps> I made them play Fisher oh. Scooter. I, I, I requested wow. it. I learned, actually, this is a t- pro tip. I learned that you could request any song with a Swedish accent and they'll do it. Just say it and they'll be like, <laughs> oh, Fisher Scooter, please. And they will fucking do it. It's, it's something in power and foreignness. Oh, you know what I was going to say about the whole underground, the masking thing and the, uh, the punk of that question really quickly is that it is interesting because like punk and these scenes, like indie, whatever, we're always masks in a way, though, in a yeah. sense that they're like, you're dressing up, right? You're kind of hiding, you're expressing yourself, but you're also hiding yourself. So there's a little bit of masquerade to a degree, for sure. Like, whether you're a raver, whether you're like a punk, uh, a goth, you're defining yourself against the norm by like acting out <laughs> through aesthetics or whatever, through fashion. Right. So I think I, I get the mask thing on some, because I think a lot of this is like a the reason people wear masks is like emotional kind of insecurity and just yeah. wanting to hide themselves, and especially like young women. I'm not surprised. It's like so many young women like wearing masks, which is so, so unbelievably heartbreaking. I'd rather they were goth sluts, honestly. That would I be know. better than, and I, I don't want that for them either, but that would be better than masking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not to sound like an old, but like what, like what do they do that's transgressive? I don't know. I was Or fun. What do like- they do that's fun? Yeah, I know. Nothing, nothing. They don't even meet in person. (laughs) So because that was the only place you could go to before you were 21 in the city, Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. would go to pop scene and you, they put a big X on your hand. So everyone Mm -hmm. knew, so the bartenders Mm -hmm. knew not to serve you. I don't know even know how we bought liquor, but we would always buy like a handle of like Jack Daniels and then we would throw it into the bushes. (laughs) around the corner in the parking lot and then go and drink and smoke in the parking lot and then come back and nice. um, so we would still get drunk while we were there and it's it's really so nice to like live in a city when you're going out and you're that young because you can just like take well what we used to take cabs there was no uber or lyft oh but my gosh, like, right not having to drive just getting wasted mm-hmm. going to house parties afterwards like um let me tell you that was that was the life <laughs> yeah so for whatever reason i also had that life up to a point but i lived in santa cruz like my club yeah. kid posse traveled very far i grew up in the, in the south bay area right so like i had been to pop scene um right after high school or whatever so like definitely a place you could go as soon as you're like basically 18 yeah. as Fetty says yeah i think what would happen a lot there was like uh, you'd buy drinks and give it to a younger person oh, or right. a younger person. Uh, that's why those places are a little bit tricky, right? ATA <laughs> venues are notoriously skeezy. Pop scene wasn't, it was skeezy. It's mod, like Vespa, uh, yeah. old British punk kind of ass way. But there yeah. was a kind of a staleness to it. I feel like up until I wasn't one, it felt dated to me because yeah. it was like um like london suede or i guess what we call london suede what they call suede okay, in the yeah. uk mm-hmm. shout out bep they just had a great uh yeah. episode about that um in fact that one song uh 
beautiful ones was like a, that's a classic I there. I remember they would play that. I love that one too. So in the Bay Area, we had two radio stations, right? That did rock. There was Live 105, which is on your like Britpop, indie, more electronic side of things. And then your, your KOME was like more your traditional rock grunge and then like later new metal type stuff and live 105 was like uh, aaron axelson like a yeah. hero of mine was like the program director he did the late night electronic show in the bay area on that station and he dj'd at pop c it was a great it was a great space i think for people like us who were like i don't know i hated that no one wanted to dance in like, the rock yeah. world that was not cool yes. at all at the time you know Yeah, it was a little antiseptic, but because we were so young and hadn't really been exposed to anything else, like we were just excited to be out and like dancing. And then I think once I was like 20, I ended up getting a fake ID. So I really opened up a whole new world for me. And I started going to the Purple Onion, which was like, was like a comedy club for like 50 years. And then this like crazy, like garage rock guy named Tom Guido took it over and he just started having like shows there. And it was like this little basement in North Beach. And like, he was like possibly schizophrenic, (laughs) alcoholic, (laughs) like uh, he actually made him his untimely demise like a couple of years ago by getting um drunk and having some like street person slash him to death after he invited him to wow. his hotel um but he i mean like any band that was big in the 90s like played at the purple onion like there i saw the rapture there um nice. they were also this earlier version called the calculators which played there mm-hmm. there was a lot of like it was mostly garage and like punk that was like a real grimy scene and then like shortly after that was when that whole like i guess what you'd now call indie sleaze kind of sure sure the garage oh, rock also, yeah and then there was an electro clash thing too or no the, yeah the arrow bar was kind of the scene for oh yeah before, for sure before it moved to rickshaw it was like the arrow bar was where all the mm. electro clash stuff went down it was arrow bar and then cat club because um, yeah. pop scene was kind of like the first like stop that we made in our like navigation penetrating the, the deepest underworld of san francisco as because we, we were not from around there we were like out of towners yeah. but we like blended in this like guy like davy this kind of like mod guy was like yes. smoky uh outside we're like having you know, our cigarette break in the alley as you do at 3 30 rich uh my associate belly black we were like our we were like a clubbing duo we were very good dancers so we were making our name on the scene right and he was like oh haven't i seen you at club fake and we were like mm-hmm, like which one which one is that one again like we were like not sure what that was but we we're like maybe and he was like oh and he like told us about it and it was this really like iconic moment it was this really great night and it reminded me of this anime that I, I really like it's a famous one called serial experiment lane some listeners may be familiar there is a scene where she's like recognized by someone and they're like oh weren't you at this club siberia last night and like she wasn't she was like at home sleeping and i had this like feeling of just like i really was there like another timeline the cat club was like the bigger like cathedral of sleazy indie some rock and roll for sure because 16 was there also yeah. a, a rock mm-hmm. and roll club that was like the temple of like whatever this meet me in the bathroom era yes. like was for san francisco right <laughs> Okay, we grabbed the book. I think we should talk about it a little bit since we uh, did read 
through this text. It is an oral history called Meet Me in the Bathroom, which documents more of the rock and roll scene of, of, and art and, and music scene of New York. And some degree, London doesn't really get into our neck of the woods. We could probably have our own oral history, clearly here in, uh, in the West Coast. But I do feel like... Um, it triggers a lot of memories. Do you see yourself anywhere in the book, Spendy? Who were you then? Who is Spendy of Meet Me in the Bathroom era? Well, in that era, um, I was dating a guy in a local band and we lived together and they were like pretty big in our in the garage punk scene. They toured uh, like across the United States and they recorded records and I was like doing that. So there's a lot of going out I went out probably like four or five nights a week for four years straight. And then after that, I, I never really like, I kind of dabbled in playing music, but I definitely, um, I actually played a a New Year's Eve show with Jeffrey Paradise and, and wow. Richie Panic. Um, yeah, Richie for Manic, sure. Um, where they taught me to play keyboards <laughs> for one oh night gosh. so we could play Push It at, on New Year's Eve. Um, so like I was... Around Where was scene. that? I was, was I there? Oh, that, that, that was at Le- Lipo Lounge. I fucking, is... okay, so I was going to mention Lipo Lounge a second ago. <laughs> this, like, fucking basement. Oh, my God, the nightmare of my nightmares, which it was great. But it's this, because this guy, Davey, and his friend, Lauren, they did their own, like, kind of club at one point in, in Chinatown, right? At this place called Lipo Lounge, which is yeah. like a, a restaurant. You would walk in to this restaurant. Bar. But they tables. had booths. Yeah, yeah. yeah they had it was booths, like but it, it was, was not bar. like dive bar though. It was like I remember people like in like it was nice cool. clothes and stuff, and they were like walking, and, like walking in, just seeing people like out for like a nice Friday evening, and we're dressed in like probably what you used to wear. I would wear like make my own kind of clothes. Like, I remember I had this shirt stripes, where I made like stripes. Well, stripes like we're wearing tonight, <laughs> ironically, but I, we're both happen to be wearing our uh, our indie sleeves era stripes this evening. White belt, I, white belt, a skinny jean, a, maybe a trucker hat, a, a necktie. No, um, I made a shirt with electrical tape that was like my black and white stripes, but it was like yes. all like gear. And I wear like fanny packs, like slap bracelets, anything you could do just to be like like <laughs> novel or stand out. Um, or like thematic. We would have like thematic kind of evenings, sunglasses in your pocket, you know, in case yeah. uh, they play the sunglasses at night song. You want to pop those on real quick. We had like a whole little like gimmick that we would do as a crew. Ridiculous. But yo, Lebo Lounge, what did you do there down that scary, scary basement? Uh, there was like regular, <laughs> uh, regular nights. It was mostly like seeing bands and that was, um, and there was also like some dance nights that happened there. They had some really powerful Chinese whiskey that would, that we drink when we went there. Um, I saw Rodney Bingenheimer there no from Rodney on the rock. Um, I did wear electrical tape on my nipples at the show on new year's. Um, cause I was wearing like a sheer <laughs> shirt, but, um, yeah, that it was really felt like the last of the botcherous and like underground times. The idea that you would just go into some Chinese owned bar in the middle of Chinatown yeah. and be like, Hey, can I have, can I throw a show here? Can I have a DJ night? Like, I just feel like that would never happen now. It would not happen or it would be closed for COVID. It was very scary too. I feel like um, it was a fire hazard. There was no like way no, out. I remember thinking yeah. you could see the street like for, through the mm-hmm. like windows at the top of like near the ceiling because you're like in the basement. So it was, they let basically, yeah, anybody 
do it. Um, I know Lipa Lounge was definitely uh, a satellite location, aero bar. I didn't see as much of that in Meet Me in the Bathroom, to be honest. It felt more segregated almost in a way. I feel like in San Francisco, they're like rock people and the disco dance people were all mixed up together it was there was definitely shows and stuff and specific things but like you'd see rock people at something that was almost more like on the techno end of things because it was like electro or you'd see like almost like a rave type person at like a rock show sometimes like it was just a little bit more integrated than i feel it came across to some degree in that book i i think it was really segregated up until electro like i remember not liking it Mm -hmm when it came out because I was like, who are these fucking kids with their asymmetrical <laughs> haircuts? And like, I just, it was weird and seemed like very Euro trash. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, I initially didn't like it. Um, but then like I had a German friend and he was yeah. like really into all of it. And so he was like, no, you have to listen to international gigolo DJs. Yes! Like, and he made yes! me like a, he gave me a tape and then he went to their party, mm-hmm. one of their parties oh. at cat club. Oh. And, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, he mm-hmm. got me I came around a little bit more, but I think that was really the beginning of indie and rock and roll and dance music all kind of fusing and then yeah, it yeah. becoming like yeah. its own thing. Cause before all the genres had really been separated, like even mm-hmm. like you wouldn't really even see like people that went to punk shows at indie shows or people that mm-hmm. went to indie totally. shows wouldn't be at like a mod night, like, or like pop scene. So the exactly. scene really became mixed up after that. And people always would accuse other people of being posers, but I guess this blurred the lines a little more. <laughs> so it was like a compromising of that authenticity, but it was like permissive almost to a degree. Yeah. Like their people were definitely suspicious. Like you described of this, what we'll call electro or it was, it was called Electro Clash at the time, yeah. which is a fake name. But I guess just to explain briefly, uh, there was a moment around the turn of the century where really originally, organically, a bunch of different people just started getting into like kind of ironic 80s things, but coming from more of a rock and roll based approach. They weren't like dance people. They're getting into 80s like dance music and vibes and recreating that and like a, a, a almost a punk approach to that sort of. It happened like around this important label that Spendy mentioned, international DJ Gigolos, which was run by DJ Hell, who's like oh, yeah. a, a Berlin legend. He had a lot of pedigree in the techno community. So it's not coming from some kind of like startup like you have in Brooklyn, where you had like the Electro Clash records label from this guy, Larry T, who coined the phrase Electro Clash. And he's famously the, the guy who helped get Fisher Spooner their, their one or two million dollar deal, their famous, uh, their sellout moment. He wrote the song Supermodel with RuPaul. He's like this old school club kid guy, right, from New York. And he's kind of a skeezy, skeezy entrepreneur of disco, I guess we could say. And he came up with this term Electro Clash to kind of name what was going on, this zeitgeist around the world. Uh, you had Peaches coming around at the same time and Miss Kitten. All these people independently were sort of on the same vibe, but in their own way. La Tigra, I think is another yeah. one. It was all like yeah. really like synergistic and he capitalized on that and frankly ruined it very quickly by giving it this horrific name, Electro Clash. Um, and it, for me, I don't know if you feel like this, if there felt like almost like this like, utopian bent to it for a moment where everything did come together. And it was like, cause I was never like a person that fit neatly into those boxes. So I liked that it. it was like things were coming together and it was allowed, uh, but it almost felt like there was just like this burst it was like happened and it was like the air was out of it so quickly yeah i think it was but then it also ushered in that era mm-hmm. of like harm our superstar and stuff where mm-hmm. it's kind of a funny jokey 
dance music, like mm-hmm. and Peaches, like these less serious, but also very fun um, bands, I guess, for lack of a better term, yeah, yeah, came yeah. around. Because before that, like in the city, like there had been a long culture of like, obviously dance music. And it was mostly oriented around, God, I can't remember that fucking bar's name, but there was a huge nightclub where there was like, it was like a techno and then there was like drum and bass was huge on the market about, yeah it was about to say it's not 15 15 Folsom but like yes, something like is. that is yeah that, exactly it was, it was, so that, was that was like a mega club that was gonna make a club yes. kind of. and that yeah. was like the mecca of like dance music it was like bridge and tunnel people would go there yes. and then also like San Franciscans and it was this huge place and then that was also like this is coming off of the 90s when like the rave scene was also pretty big mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. um and then like so these, mm-hmm. like I said, entities were all very separate and it was nice that yeah. they merged for this short period of time. Cause also the drum and bass had such like a bad aesthetic. <laughs> like It did. Yes. No, I agree. It is it's like, a rough jungle uh, and drum and bass and all those. It was like Junko jean pants with like white people with dreadlocks and like backpacks with spikes on them yes. and like yes. piercings and um, um, yeah. 111 minute was, gallery. There was like yes. a drum and bass thing there which i went to with electric clash party there uh later but yeah uh 1515 was like very commercial like it was kind of no, it was 10 15 15 that's right yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's not right. Okay. <laughs> 10 15 Folsom was like really commercial i feel like it was like yeah cheesy rave that was not fun and then like rock show people were like not fun if there was dance. a dance music they would literally stand against the wall and yeah. look at anybody who danced it's like it, it, the whole beginning of like emo slash hipsters slash scene whatever those people were mean i re- i know where those things came from and they were very scary mean people the og scenesters which i probably they thought i had the same of me because everyone was just super shy and standoffish because like it was a bunch of like awkward weirdos but like we all just whatever hated each other sometimes and also got along <laughs> once we started to dance that, for me that was the first time i actually like, made friends was like when we started yeah. like dancing but it's weird that like i can can look back on people who I know by face, like, cause I'll see like pictures come up in, you know, whatever, not to sound like an old again, but like what? Facebook or something. Uh, sure. And I'm like, I know that person's face. I saw them for 10 no. years no. and I don't know who they are. I never mm-hmm. talked to them. It was so weird. Like you would just be in this at the same place for years with the same people no. and you would just never 100%. even like talk to them like mm-hmm, i think because mm-hmm. we were all just like socially retarded like yeah it was just very strange That's but so um funny. <laughs> i remember some of these people there was like this guy we called the dalai lama that was like this like <laughs> fashion i called him that he was like this fashionable very small asian petite like twink and dressed like elegantly and he never spoke and his way of dancing was like we called it art dance we defined ourselves as like rhythm dancers because we had a sense of rhythm so we dance to the beat but some art weirdos are not quite there yet and so they had their own like art dancing is what i called it which is just like moving weird like right. freaky yeah. yeah or actually he doesn't even move a lot of times he would just like, pose and take like a strike a pose thing there's always a tall guy i feel like in every club there's just like some tall guy with <laughs> long hair was there a laser guy in like every club i remember thinking that laser guy was just like one guy but then realizing oh there was like these goth guys that just like wore like little like twinkly laser suits do you remember like that kind of like, I the don't industrial the guys laser suit. i do remember industrial guys i also <laughs> remember this was the era of like the photographer starting to go to clubs and then people yes. would check the website the next day oh to my see God. if they were on the um like cat club i know did that and so did yes um, they what start, was yeah. jeffrey 
whatever was uh, it uh, fake that was at rickshaw whatever was at rickshaw it, it moved to rickshaw i think at some point it was at cat club or i don't know there was the popsy moved to rickshaw i guess i, th- yeah. I think things oh, yeah, started to right. move away from there i think club fake just stopped for whatever reason i stopped going so it stopped <laughs> it stopped happening <laughs> this is also like makeout club era which was like yes, the first yes. kind of like social like scene related thing and so that mm-hmm. was also like hadn't existed before there was myspace but like you're right yeah. I, rem- I remember this girl like i don't know who she was but she was like a mess she was like this club diva that we would see a lot and she one time had her like gay friend or whatever pose as a photographer so she's on the dance floor and this guy suddenly starts like getting up and taking pictures like, aggressively paparazzi style and everyone's like who is that and then someone's like it's peaches she did kind of look like peaches but i was like i know that's not peaches that's that girl like i've seen her here before like i'm from here i, I come to club fake every week so i know who she is i was so fucking impressed i hated it it was so annoying but it was also so impressed because she like totally engineered like this little moment for herself and it like i don't know what it got for her but i i remember it i thought it was great and that was like a moment too of like it was like okay to be famous that goes back to the fisher spooner piece for me the only part of the meeting in the bathroom i like is fisher spooner in many ways the only people who actually come out good um fisher spooner at the time were like anti-heroes they're this like art duo who get their start I think we make Starbucks shows and stuff and like these like really weird electronic songs and they end up having this like huge record called Eberge which is like the catalyst for the whole electro clash scene slash movement it was like a, a, a zeitgeist moment it's a really good record um but it's just like yeah it's like lightning in a bottle moment and they leveraged that eventually to get this huge record deal from like wall of sound in the uk kind of the last of the record money, I think is what they say. Yeah. The last of the label money in the book. They cashed out the label. They get a $2 million deal to put out kind of like a fine album. It's classic and it's like endearing way. I don't think it's a masterpiece in the way that Emerge as a single kind of was. But um, they were hated. Like people hated Fisher Spooner because they were like sellouts or whatever. Oh, yeah. Even though the whole project was like, a, not a joke, but it was jokey. It was an art project, right? It was ironic or sort of deconstructing this whole notion of pop star. But people were mad. People were mad that they got all that money. <laughs> uh, but I thought they came out really nice in the book. And I always liked Fisher Spooner. I definitely loved the song uh, Emerge. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. But that is like yeah, a uh, great record. Um, but I got why there was backlash. <laughs> there was a lot of backlash in that era. Hence why my zine <laughs> is called that. Do you remember Fisher Spooner? And what do you think about how they came out in this text? Um... I, they, I mean, they were huge. You couldn't, I mean, that Emerge song was like everywhere. I Mm -hmm. didn't really like them that much. I liked that song, but like, I did think that it was like too much, like too over the top, but that was just Mm because I had a more indie aesthetic. Like I said, like I initially was like repelled by a lot of the (laughs) electro stuff Mm -hmm. because I just, am like, you know, a rock and roller, I guess, at the end of the day. The band that they focused on a lot in the book that, like, they didn't really talk about in the movie was, like, Jonathan Firestarter. Mm. I really liked them. I saw them when they came to town in 96, I think. They were huge 
in the Bay Area scene, I don't even think they mentioned them in the movie, but in the book, they seem to be like, they talked a lot about how the prototypical like um, singer who has is plagued by drug problems and just goes off mm-hmm, and how they mm-hmm, have to constantly mm-hmm, rein mm-hmm, his mm-hmm. genius in. And then um, ultimately he met his own demise by like committing suicide a couple of years ago, Stuart mm-hmm. Lupton. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought they were one of those like, you know, insane bands that like you, I don't know if you heard of them. Jonathan Fire Eater, right? Is like this yeah. group and they're like, I was surprised by their inclusion. So Meet Me in the Bathroom, this book is like an oral history that comes out. I should note there's a famous oral history called Please Kill Me from um, the 90s. It's just like all about the original punk era. And that's like this definitive Gen X, uh, old ass scenester like me and Spendy touchstone book. I love oral history because of it. It's really interesting to read, but everybody kind of likes their legs. McNeil, the kind of the founder of punk magazine. I think it's great. It's hard to read an oral history that you have to keep up with a lot of people. So you have to be intimately familiar with things. But everybody wants that like moment, which is what the whole LCD sound system like song was about. Like their whole like um, I was there. Like just yeah. everybody wants to be a part of this this tapestry, but have their own moment in the oral history. And so that's like a big jerk off session, is what I'm saying. Is what meet me in the bathroom is the big jerk off session. It should be called jerk me off in the bathroom because that's what they do. Uh, they just get together and try to do please kill me. It wasn't that era though. It was not. So it rings hollow in times. And so to get it back to Jonathan Fire Eater, I was like, where did this come from? I was familiar with them at the time. I mentioned to you before, like the makeup, a band like that makes more sense as a reference or touchstone. I was really confused why they were in the book, to be honest. I guess they influenced, yeah, 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 I guess, or Liars or whatever. They became the Walkmen too. So that was like a huge band. So I think they're just paying homage to like, yeah, like the New York scene. I don't think that they really fit in with a lot of the bands, but they also mentioned like Mooney Suzuki, who's like another, like a garage band Mm -hmm, who mm -hmm. like was kind of a blip on the radar. They also didn't mention, I guess, because they were more of a Detroit band, but this band the go which was like huge and i i knew more of like the rock and roll people or related bands but i was curious what you thought about lcd sound system because i thought that like especially seeing um what's his name james james murphy murphy okay so seeing him First, I thought he was super fucking old when, he, was when then, I saw yeah. he wasn't that old. He was like 29. He looked like he was <laughs> no, like he 45. Was, older than 29. was he really? No, he, no, he was yeah, older he was, than 29. Yeah, he Are was like serious? 29 or 30 when during that whole thing. He already That's had crazy. gray hair. I mean, but yeah, like, he'd been around I, a minute, too, I guess. You know, I went you know. from feeling like empathetic towards him to thinking that he was pathetic to thinking that their music was cheesy. I mean, I bought like the LCD sound system record, Mm -hmm, the first mm -hmm. one. I I remember like running down Van Ness to it. Like when I was, that was my exercise um, past like the steakhouses (laughs) there. So I liked them at the time. I liked LCD sound system. Um, But seeing him like, and also seeing the British guy who was like working with him and he basically like, his ver- take of him, like he's yeah. just a cunt. Like, and, but he himself says in the documentary, like, I'm like a person that like not a lot of people like. Like, I'm, you know, and I felt it like maybe that's why I kind of feel cringy about him because I feel like that about myself too. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. What's his sign, actually? Yeah, so that first record oh, James was Murphy, um, yeah. James Murphy. Yeah. It was the Losing My Edge, which I talked with yeah. Eric Harris from okay, so Gold you, Pony about. You, you know, did? yeah, yeah. So we mentioned, okay, so this song, okay, this record came out and it's like this whole like rant, right? He's like kind of referencing all these decades that preceded us uh, in musical and history. He saw, yeah. 
He was you know, there for like I was there. Rock. Yeah, I was yeah. there for like um for suicide practices and like all this. Yeah. Like, I was there for the Jamaican Sound Clash. Like it's this whole like I love it. I think it's a great record. It's a very minimalist record that I was there. I was there the first time it was played at Club Fake when Tiga played it. Uh oh, first West West Coast premiere. And actually, so the original title of that song, I didn't know this till later, was Here Comes the Backlash. I actually didn't know that was the name of that what? song, which I <laughs> Backlash was definitely ah. inspired, you know, by like uh, that year because there's a lot of, there was a record label called Clashback that was like Felix the House Cats. There's a lot of double K's in Felix the House Cat stuff. So that's really kind Felix of Felix the House Cat. Felix the <laughs> House Cat. Uh in Kittens and Deeglet. It's another touchstone from that oh, era. Yeah. But LCD, like I, um, yeah, they blew up so big. So there was a B-side to that though called Beat Connection. And that was the one they would play like Club Fake a lot. And I always say it's about like 9-11, like going to the club on 9-11, because it's like this really weird, I, I love that record, but we didn't know who it was. And I remember like on a whim, like seeing in like a British magazine, like catalog, like that thing and being like, I think that is the record. Because it was like buzzed about. And I was like, I bet that's the one. And just like buying this fucking record. And it was, that was like the, like the 12 inch single. Did you go, were you at the Virgin Megastore on Virgin <laughs> No, I, did. I had spent some time there, but this was like, you know, an early online uh, purchase. Oh, online. Uh, wow. Where, which I got like, where I would get my international DJ gigolo at 12 inches as well. Yeah. That was what was cool too. was like the 12 inch kind of DJ culture yeah. crossing over with this kind of like dance or rock kind of uh, sensibility, which was somewhat novel. I feel like too for that for the age but anyway yeah, lcd blew up it's funny my sister is about four years younger than me and i feel like that is her i call it her generation because i feel like generations mm-hmm. are like five years apart um lcd like that all my friends song like that's like her generation's like anthem they love lcd and it's so funny to me because they aren't even really that familiar with the pre-history everybody thinks it starts with daft punk is playing at my house and it's you know, there's a whole like, journey to get there james murphy though as a person it's no surprise that people uh maybe don't like him he kind of comes across as an asshole in his own songs like i think he has a sense of humor about being an asshole i didn't know the extent of how fucking crazy it went down with uh, tim goldsworthy and it's like this guy from uncle he's like a producer and like kind of was like the respectability element to dfa records this landmark uh, label that they founded together um and it sounds like he just like kicked his ass out of the door and like literally locked him out of the building which was like kind of shocking honestly i did not know like i did not know any of that was going down like at the time really at all you know yeah it's i mean if you've ever been in a band or new new people in a band or dj'd with people you know that like people get weird about weird shit and so i could totally see when they were discussing like you know, he was like, he kept saying he was working on this album, but he wouldn't show me anything he was working <laughs> on. Like, he was working on it for like 10 months and like nobody else could be in the studio that you'd be like, yeah, that guy's a fucking prick. Like, well, yeah, no, you know. it was it was confusing. So they had this label DFA Records and their production unit was like DFA and they did some sick remixes. Uh, the Latigra one of Decepticon was like a re- really yeah. big one, but they were very well established very quickly. And then James 
James Murphy kind of pivots to LCD sound system. And the idea at the time I thought was just kind of like, oh, this is just DFA like in band form. But then it turned out like, oh no, that like one half is not part of it. But there was like a little bit of a process there. It was kind of like rolled out slowly. So like from the public's perspective, it just kind of felt almost seamless. I felt like the transition from like DFA to LCD. And then looking back, I'm like, wow, that was sinister. Yeah. And, and also like, <laughs> James Murphy like basically played for Tim Goldsworthy like what he'd been working on and I think he did play like Daft Punk's playing at my house or did he play um uh Losing My Edge I think it was Losing My yeah, Edge yeah. and Tim Goldsworthy was like this is the biggest piece of shit I've ever heard <laughs> and it's just like how it's so strange to think about but also not you know because you know how people are that you could work so closely with someone like have a relationship mm-hmm. with them and then to have them just completely shit on what you're doing mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm, without mm-hmm. any regard. I don't know. I guess time will tell. I don't know what people really think of that song now. Um, I think it's funny, but I think it is the idea that he said those lyrics would never be in a song like that. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's, he's totally right on. Like, it is very strange. Like, and they're so like sparing and like, it just really stand out. Um, and uh, James Murphy is yeah. not a singer. Um, he's like a production guy, right? But he yeah, right, really, truly, yeah. Plays like every instrument that you can. Um, but he has like that like nerd complex of like someone who always wanted to be in the inside and was like never accepted. And so mm-hmm. he had to like instead of playing being in the band, he had to be the producer or like the manager or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's so fair. But then I think he eventually built his own inside and he finally got what he wanted you know and this, it would took him a, a minute um it, it's funny because there's financial implications to what they did too what the heck like who knows the label was like a co-owned thing it's it, it's, oh, yeah. it's very shitty what he did um and i think the music though to me is like very good like it's not just him eventually becomes a band right but even from those first all the first singles there was a, a record called yeah that i had the 12 inch of um there was like what, what's the other one in between there they produced they did the remix for the rapture house of jealous lovers yeah. which is like the like up there with emerge like the banger of the turn of the century a dance floor that was like such a good song like still i think holds up I never realized how weird like Luke Jenner's voice is like you think that it's just like tweaked because of the song and then you hear him talking he's like (laughs) (laughs) so I I thought it was a girl we we thought that record was a woman for the longest time until I found out what it was like a guy from like Brooklyn I thought it was like a British woman because like I think uh DJ Omar shout out DJ Omar at the club fake would uh pitch it up I think a little bit you know things get weird on the dance floor a little bit like you hear things in a unique way when a dj plays it sometimes and so it was a while uh before i realized realized like that was like a guy uh which i don't know it's kind of funny what did you think of the like yeah 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 in that piece of it because i feel like they're like the heroes of the book and i don't know you're just suddenly giving me like a, yeah, a karen o vibe i just all of a sudden i you know, hate so that you hate no, it no i've been told that before <laughs> i've never um, thought that until just now i'm not half korean but um <laughs> Yeah, I have always, I like maps, but I've always found her like weird shtick, very annoying. And she seems like an annoying person. And especially Mm -hmm. in the book, they don't really 
I don't know if they describe in detail what a raging alcoholic she becomes. Mm. I don't know if they exaggerate it because when you're out and you're young and you're in a band, yeah, you're drinking and you're on the road every night and you're probably doing blow mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Ex- mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Well, what we well, in the old days we called ecstasy. ecstasy. Um, <laughs> but you young kids call it MDMA or, or Molly or Molly. whatever. It's so yeah. confusing. Um, but like <laughs> I couldn't tell whether they were exaggerating it. Like they were like, she fell off of the monitor and then the monitor fell on top of her. I was like, yeah, I feel like I've seen people do this like a hundred times. Like, yo, I was, okay. So, and I was like, is she trying to have her Patti Smith moment? Cause Patti Smith famously falls like at this concert in the seventies, it changes the trajectory of her career. I, I kind of felt like she was trying to almost like, yeah, lead into that a lot. I it seems kind of like a square. Like she, it seemed very performative. Their whole shtick. She seemed like an a geeky like art school kid. She okay. So I met Nick and Karen O back behind the Catalyst very briefly through the gate, smoking his cigarette behind the Catalyst in Santa Cruz. There's a side street, and this uh, girl Nikki Red, this queen seamster, was like, "Come with me," because this is how a real bitch like who knows how to operate a scene moves. And she swoops me up in her fucking pleated skirt or whatever, and we come around the side, and we're like smoking a cigarette. So we end up lighting their cigarettes, and they talked to us for probably about five minutes. It was not the most monumental conversation, but they were very ordinary. I remember being like, "Oh wow, you guys are like really normal." This was John Spencer Blues Explosion tour when they were opening, so this is like right. right Right, right before they kind of like this is before the SNL like the, the guy from the Strokes is wearing their pin on SNL yeah. and then they become like the hottest band in the country overnight from nowhere um, but it was like they were normal but they were like you could already see they were like tired they were kind of like complaining to us about like I can't wait to go home basically it was they were saying it was like this is long it's hard to be on the road and I just remember being like wow you guys are super like normal because on stage like she is a rock star like she does have like that that kind of primal kind of energy and like the kind of confrontational nature um but they were like really tiny normal people like <laughs> in real life and like yeah, very, 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 very friendly very is he was he like five foot two he looks like, so, so short so short yeah, yeah he looks really short it's funny there's so many manlets that you would never think of that like i feel like oh, nobody sure. ever it wasn't even a thing before and now everyone's really about like <laughs> talking about dudes and how tall they are i'm like it's so true and so now i find myself also like looking up like well how tall is uh, axel rose he's only 5'10 like my well, whole life uh i thought that he was a uh, he was you know i don't know Lady Gaga is another famous. She's like five foot two or whatever. There's, I, I think there's something to it where it's like the need to compensate for that is so yeah. uh, great that they actually do such a good job at it that it like translates into these mediums where it, like I don't know there's a kind of this like relationship I think almost between like having that deficiency or that kind of chip on your shoulder perhaps yeah. and creating these like larger than life like personas. You know, I mean Danzig immediately comes Oof. to mind, and Oof. also Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop's like Iggy five Pop. foot seven. Um, how tall is bap hmm, i'm curious <laughs> this, i'm very curious i'm, I'm thinking 5 10 but you know maybe five, i'm wrong ten. i don't know well fine well we will get to the bottom of uh, it, men do what women do about their weight like men always overcompensate by like an inch or two like my dad swears he's 5 10 i'm like my husband is like 5 11 and my dad is like significantly shorter than him so like i don't know how that's true but i'm only five two so i'm not talking well yeah well as someone who's just under six feet i can't relate to any of these problems it's so funny i never thought of myself until really recently you're right the discourse thing is funny because like i never thought of myself as a tall man but definitely and i don't think of myself as a short man because like short men are like 
I'm shorter. Like they're, they're short. Like there's a lot of people my height I see around. So I don't think it's that. Anyway, point being is that I never thought about it until all of a sudden these little things things come up like they come these like uh quibbles of like society and i really think the point is to make us all crazy you know yeah man lit discourse meanwhile everyone's 300 pounds okay <laughs> exactly. make it make sense all of it the wall it's like um oh, yeah, the, the, the whole all Empty the race egg stuff carton. all the race stuff where it's like <laughs> the, by a bunch of indians and mexicans doing the biggest white supremacist online it's a, so much projection i That's never the knew same about thing. the i never knew about the smoke alarm and then twice in the last Week, I've been on the phone with like customer service people and I'm just chirping in the background. That's hilarious. And I'm just like, oh no. Gosh. Oh my gosh, they work from home now too. It didn't even yes. used to have calls set. What is happening? It was PayPal country. support and she was very nice, but I could hear an audible chirping in the background the entire it's, time. I, I will I will spare my theories on that for this I just evening, said you but- know sometimes people don't have money for a ladder and they live in apartments with eight foot ceilings what are you gonna do I don't know I feel like there's something sinister <laughs> going on for sure I don't like it I don't I don't like it what we live through this like I, what we're calling the end of history like the end of uh the death of cool we were the last cool people to ever live and we were there for when it died uh we settled a funeral and then we shifted into the new era and now we're like immortals i guess this is kind of how i view things um but we look back and like that era is recycled it was an era about recycling so it's kind of ironic it was like one of the first movements that was not it was not really this, the punk movement is like very much uh, like re- referencing old times but it was like very much explicitly like we want to be 80s it was just like we want to be like glomming onto this like idea of a decade you know and well first of all i think the fallout of that scene like it did die quickly but i think you were right when you kind of said it kind of carried on in many different ways um like EDM and like Coachella, I feel like it's like just a complete fallout from all of that. You know, like it's interesting too, because you said earlier that the, the shows stopped happening around 2004, like the rock and roll died then. And that's like, I think when Coachella started and it kind of is this shift in like, like our era, there was like flyers for shows. There was like so many venues and they have like shows every night, like every week. Like there was a lot of them that does not exist anymore. So we shifted to this new world, but there's like kind of this like fetishization of that, I think um, with this like indie sleaze. Um, and that is like Electro Clash. They do reference that. They also reference, I think, like that 2010 ish era. American Apparel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the trucker hats. But that's all definitely like all that Silver Lake shit. What is like Dim, Dim Mag, like Steve Aoki Dim Mac, kind yeah, of. Yeah. Totally like that kind of. That's just like a, that was already a fetishization of like a, a hipster almost. Uh, or hipster was like a mutation of like that era that we lived through, I feel like, you know? Yeah. What do you think about it? What do you think about it now? Uh, I mean, I always had like. By the time that like Steve Aoki, Dim Mac era, like spraying champagne on people came around, I was already like too old and I like was out yeah, of it. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. 
Um, I I did insult Steve Aoki at a party, <laughs> which I think I said that like um, I asked him why his sister Devin and he didn't look alike, and he was like, uh, "That's because we have different moms." And I was like, "Okay," and then he walked away. From me. Oh my gosh, that's so funny! <laughs> I was wasted. Whatever. He was at a anyway. Um, so he's forty five now, so he can cash in on his Benihana bucks because apparently his uh, yeah. His dad wrote that into his will. R.I.P. Rocky Aoki. Um, <laughs> I I I'm glad to have grown up in that era. Um, I did get to see the Strokes when they played at Bottom of the Hill for mm. their first show that was sold out. So at the time, I had felt like all of the good music had passed already, and that I wasn't part of any real scene that we were just like reworking the past because I think from like, really it starts in the eighties where like people start basically replicating these other decades. Mm -hmm. I guess it's kind of still happening now. Like they're doing that with like the two thousands. So I think that like, in a way there was nothing like super unique to come out of that era, but I think just that it was like the end of rock and roll. One thing that like I forgot to mention was that um, in the, the whole like photographer dance thing and you mentioned peaches being like this you know like shrinking violet person brooke candy was also a photographer brooke during candy. that time and she was brooke like candy a scene, fag mob I say it. <laughs> scene photographer and then like i was like i used to see that girl out and she was totally That's unassuming so and quiet and a little chubby and now look at her <laughs> anyway that's fascinating the grimes video is the first time i remember she was in uh is oblivion or genesis she does this like whole dance thing and that was like but she'd been uh, yeah she'd been on the scene for a minute oh yeah she was that record daz me tell him daz yeah. me tell him tell him tell him daz me that video was fucking insane and that's the tail end of i think that latter half of that the 2010s like brooke candy yeah. i think azealia banks really technically lady gaga is can she apparently alleged went to Club Lux in Brooklyn. Oh, really? I don't know. I think she was maybe something to a Scissor Sisters concert, yeah, maybe, and that's like that. what happened. But but Scissor Sisters is a, a good example of some influenced by that. Um, I think you're right about feeling like it was all done, like the sounds, like that band. Like I remember I liked them a lot, but it was like their whole thing was like very like posery of a different era. Yes. Um, and then like Kings of Leon, that shit made me sick. I mean, they were huge in this book too. And it's just like, I, I never, that under, yeah, I never Hated got them. I never thought they were cool. I did. I, yeah, I never paid any attention to them and they're <sighs> still around and still, of I guess course. they're big. They would play at uh, DJ Basura down in like San Jose. There was a club, uh, the Agenda Lounge, where we kept the torch burning uh, probably too long. I was uh, still a club kid in my 30s, I guess. But anyway, he would play so the. Was I. You know, that's how it rolls. I want a Sunday disco. I think there needs to be like an adult yes. Sunday afternoon disco. We'll get there. It's uh, Atomic was like, the big famous night. They've been going there for, since like the 80s. In San Jose, there's a lot of like uh, Latino. Latino culture has a huge like overlap with um, 80s goth uh, yes. hero type stuff, Depeche Mode, industrial, a lot of hip, a lot of hip Latinos in freestyle that area. too. They like that. Oh god, and that freestyle <laughs> like totally uh, interplayed with that whole electro thing. It was yeah. very much adjacent, but I didn't get it. Like they would play that night. What's it called? The fire. The sex is on fire. I, just, I hate that song so much. It would ruin the. <laughs> night would uh, ruin my night uh, 
that's Ugh. horrible and it was bad but then then mgmt actually that's another one that kind of comes from this yes. like influence. 2004 same thing <sighs> that record yeah. which is was it called kids that one they would play i remember feeling so old hearing that because i was like oh this is like some like that was like this is a good song i was like, this is like some like younger person's like defining record i'm just like some old man here that was 30 years ago you guys i don't even know what's happening no uh, <laughs> no it was like i don't know 12 15 who knows it's irrelevant time is fake and gay. 19, 19 years it. ago. We have conquered it to the past. Uh, actually, I'll give one more anecdote because uh, you mentioned Peaches. I saw Peaches across the alley at 111 Minute Gallery. Um, it was the weekend, I think, of the Electro Clash like, uh, tour or whatever was in town and Tommy Sunshine was DJing. I had a out-of-body experience. I might have told this on the pod before, but I thought he was Black and I think yes. he was Black in another timeline. <laughs> she was, like, flirting with me. She really was. And, like, I don't know. We were invited to the after party. We didn't make it in this timeline, which is probably good. But that was another, um, I guess, encounter. Oh, and, and Jeffrey Paradise. <laughs> I met Jeffrey Paradise at the after party uh, for something. Because yeah, I don't know how we did this, but we would, like, just be out we were and I was not we were not doing drugs I want to just reiterate well sometimes maybe some drugs but for the most part we were mostly like drinking and doing like smoking weed like there was not like a lot uh, to it but we'd be like out at after parties in San Francisco like at 3 a.m 90 miles from home and just like uh meeting Jeffrey Paradise because Jenny the promotrix the promotress of Club Fake was there and she was like this is you know a bleep and Bella Black I guess uh club fakes best dancers and it was very flattering moment and i met jerry paradise my friend slutsky fucked him and he had a girlfriend at the time it was a whole ass mess and these like (laughs) nasty like strokes these like nasty strokes wannabe boys make fun of me it was like really horrible and i like and they dropped 20 dollars and i stole it from them and we got a cab out of there and left the city but um it was it was a different time it was a wild time for the city i don't think it's like that here anymore you're right rock and roll is not like that anymore and i feel sad that subculture mostly is it's not entirely online but a lot of it is online like counterculture like they're real yeah. something really counter to the narrative to be really different and you, yeah it's, it's kind of sad to me i think in some ways like i'm glad we have it don't get me wrong and we actually still get to be i guess a part of it even though we're old now as we've stressed a, a few times on the program but i feel like uh in some ways i wonder what will this generation or these younger generations use to like build character it's so, so well but really like what are their foundational moments in reality what are the true things that they live through um it doesn't have to be club stuff but there isn't a lot of real life stuff as much so no i know that not. won't be a problem I don't think so your kids are going to get into football you're going to be a friday night love. oh god mom no. <laughs> oh i was just going to say my most new york of the era thing was that during that time I went to New York and I met um, up with my friend who had just moved there from San Francisco mm. and she took me to Cokie's and I believe that they talked about Cokie's in the book. Uh, so Cokie's yes. was this bar, I think it was in either bed or Bushwick and you would just go to the bar and order Coke, cocaine. Yes, like yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And then you wouldn't, you couldn't do it out in, like the bar to me looked like an ice cream parlor like it was very weird like 80s and pink and they also sold lucy's behind the bar so you could just buy like a single cigarette and i remember just going into the bathroom and doing it and then coming out and it's like i ended up randomly sitting with some other people this old black couple (laughs) and like it was just crazy like oh and it was also all all black bartenders like older like middle-aged black women um, and then my friend eventually, 
She went back like a few months later and the cops raided it while she was there. And she ended up running into the yard behind there, hiding under a pile of like cardboard. And um, all of her friends that um, were she that she came with ended up getting arrested and booked into New York jail, which, you know, like they ended up being in there for like five days. And she was the only one that that didn't have to go to jail because she (laughs) hid under a pile of like trash for four hours. And I was like, God, I'm so glad that that didn't happen. (laughs) That is such an electro clash moment for real. Like hiding under the trash. Like there was a famous club trash in London. That was the club fake of UK. fucking trash a pile of trash that's hilarious oh my oh my gosh um we you had a story about maybe misshapes uh there's a, a group that they do turn up for a minute you know i have to say again meet me in the bathroom it really is trying to be such a rock and roll book and I, to me it misses the point because that was only one aspect of it and it really does sideline i feel like all of the dancier elements are really Barely touches on them, but misshapes I think do come up for a bit there. Like, did you have a story? Uh, no, I just remember like Justine D. Before I guess this is prior to she kind of started this like night, and she was like, um, that began the whole era of like people being photographed, and then there was Lee, mm. um, the, all those misshapes. I forget that. So there was Lee, and then the two guys, and then they really put like that whole electro scene kind of on the map because she was like model gorgeous and like yes um they were djs right they're the lee lazar lee lazar right yeah 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 um yeah and they were the promoters and then so like celebrities like they said that like axel came to one of their parties right and he was like (laughs) he was expecting like vip like treatment with like uh, his (laughs) own table and they were like we can seat you like over here like i don't know what you want and he ended up being at like the drug dealer's house till like six o'clock in the morning or something and he was like the last person to like leave but um I don't know. I just remember oh, like, like they, you know, they kind of like, they were the high aesthetic of like what everyone strove to, which was like asymmetrical black hair, mm-hmm. um, powdered skin for girls, red lips, lots of, you know, just like that very severe, but um, kind An of like angular kind of, yeah, you know, everything like... was very, it was very like Euro to me. Um yeah, yeah very she... 80s high fashion like blocky kind of shoulder pads even sometimes yes. you would see it was weird people tried to like get very vintagey if you could get something that was a very look from 1985 that was like per- like a sweater an ugly ass sweater vest <laughs> like, make your life if you found it at the right time and the right size that was a lot of, there was a lot of that too like just creativity which i i had a lot of fun with like my zine came from that you know it was like we were making yeah. just that thing because there was nothing we were like hey this is like a cool place and like there's we want to be a part of that history too you know i want to say i was there and so we like kind of documented it uh or like with their fashion and just like the clubs like had that kind of like look the the prom- the promotion of flyers and stuff had this more of like a, a punk look even though they were like kind of disco type clubs you know there really was this like just really nice DIY. crossover exactly exactly and just melding of like all of these different kind of elements that had been kind of truly separated i think that did pay off looking back there's less separation of genres now obviously it's all just one big thing and i think that was kind of the beginning of that moment but i did feel like there was going to be something more for a second it was like wow this is like oh this is so according to the next punk but it did feel like it was it was different there was this kind of really especially in the united states this danceable punk music 
it still is out there in its own little forms and history is cyclical time is fake you know so maybe maybe it comes back i don't i don't know maybe when we start our adult party uh, on sundays or <laughs> i don't know i'll come to texas and we'll like, get out like a rodeo hall and we'll just oh start i guess afternoon disco um spendy do you have any final thoughts on the <clears throat> age of electro rock and roll etc um just a couple of notes that i written please, down was please. that like i think that it was funny that connor oberst they mentioned was mm. afraid to um go against the war because he didn't want to perceive be perceived as anti-american and uh-huh, i just thought how uh-huh. in 20 years how everything has changed so much that like Mm-hmm. <laughs> that the the left is the pro-war movement um now literally saw kids begging for war uh today like complaining about yeah. ukraine you're so you're right he was the first taylor swift in this way where he was like i need to split the difference i need to like appeal yeah. you know which we should mention it's uh connor he's from uh well postal service right is one of the no, no he from bright eyes never mind bright eyes yeah bright um, eyes mm-hmm. what was the wait what, who was the guy from postal service because that was like a kind of they're not in this that much but i feel like i associate that very much that that EP, like District Sleeps Tonight and the Such Great Heights. That song was huge. And that was like something yeah, that was very, song. that was a huge crossover. This was an era too. That probably a lot of it was fake. I actually know some of it was very fake, but the, a band would be like on an independent label. And then like the, a year later, that same album is being re-released, you know, by a major, major yeah. label. And so you, there was kind of like this organic, you could follow things growing. A, a lot of it was also. I, we, hey. I also forgot to mention that <laughs> no, Interpol, the, the Carlos. Interpol, we could talk about a few bands. Yeah, keep going. I was never that into Interpol. Um, they just seemed like, and especially in light of seeing on camera, like the singer who I forget what his name is. But seeing oh, no, him no. in his first incarnation of doing some weird indie thing, it was like a folk, like a alt country thing. And then seeing him pivot and just basically pretend to be like Ian Curtis yes. just made it seem even more fake and gay. So I never liked them. They mm-hmm. just seemed Same. way too contrived. But to see that <laughs> Carlos went from being like, called a fascist because like online because of his aesthetic of wearing like a holster and black clothes and then people they also made fun of him in the book for straightening his hair and then Uh, going now to see that he's an actor and um, (laughs) he looks so crazy like I followed him for a second on Twitter and he does seem like a little bit based but That's not so to be funny. cringe to say he that, but fine. like we have to use a word. He, he looks so horrific. Like he's That's wearing so like a gray, like cowl knit sweater I'm or something. I've seen it right now. And he has like Wikipedia. curly hair and no, there's an even worse picture of him. Oh my gosh. This is so funny. But I just was like, how could that guy have ever been like, they were saying like, he was like, he got so much pussy. Like that he couldn't like, he was the biggest hoe. And then I was like, this yeah. guy, like he was a I never got like it was you're right it was all like like necrophilia of joy division it is funny though you you touched on something about the uh fascism thing it was funny because like all that stuff was I know punk was like very much flirting with all that like imagery because it's confrontational joy division that band name comes from Nazi Germany it's like a a sex working camp or whatever as does new order as a a fascist kind of undertone and new order's 
basically the touchstone for the entire thing we're talking about. I feel like in many ways are the, the precedent uh, of like blending these kinds of different styles of music. And like uh, nowadays they're so sensitive. It's so funny to me. What pussies. It, not that you should. It, it's not very novel. I feel like in many ways to use as well as it's played out. It's just like this aversion to just like making mommy and daddy mad is so weird to me. It's exactly the opposite of what I remember. Yeah, I I had a Jewish friend that wore swastika armbands on Halloween, like in 2007. And she went out in public like that. And I remember the last year that I went out to a Halloween party, which was, I think, around 2009, I was a geisha that committed harakiri. And so I had uh, fake intestines exploding out of my kimono. And I remember walking by a group of people and this black guy being like, what? That's like racist. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god this is so funny okay so i one of the last bad costumes i remember wearing was teddy 2011 also japanese themed it was the year yes. that tsunami i was a slutty <laughs> slutty tsunami but it was like t-s-l-u-t-t-y and i had this wave um garment i made around and it had these little people they have q-tips and like blood it was like, horrific it was like in glitter it was like oh slutty tsunami like it was so bad but people were very that whole decade i would say from like 2000 let's say one to 11 this is the era where sarah silverman's doing blackface and like dang yeah is like, it was like uh what's the tucker max is like a best-selling writer this is yeah. like a different very different time oh my god it was a, a breath of fresh I'm asking about a couple more. What got you on the line? I mentioned Peaches. What about Miss Kitten and the Hacker? Do you remember Frank Sinatra? Yeah, I love her. Oh oh my God, we have to Um, get her on the show. He's dead. He's dead. Oh my God. It was, and then she laughed. She's like, Frank Sinatra, he's dead. (laughs) And you know, that record, so that's one of these kind of early ones that's, uh, I think it's a late 90s record uh, on DJ Gigolos, International uh, DJ Gigolos. That comes out just a few months before Frank Sinatra died. (laughs) And then, isn't that crazy? And she said she felt a little bad about it, but they like, they blew up and she was on that record, Kittens and the Glitz, which is this Felix the House Cat, kind of his sellout moment, because it was a little bit controversial because he came from that like rave, more commercial a dance side and they did this album that was like 80s inspired very kind of pop oriented it's really good i think it samples a whole bunch of like italo and really classic records i think it's a great album it has the silver screen shower scene uh song that's that's still very much a reference i think but whole album's good Hollywood 
it's just like it, I heard, the first time I heard it, I was so tickled because she's just like talking about 90210. And it's a really funny record. And I think her whole, especially that era of discography, her lyrics are so smart. She's like a woman craft work. It's yeah, nice, but like funny. Smart. She's so funny. I don't know. The Hackers Beats, incredible, incredible pairing. Um, yeah. What do you think of, wait, what about Liars? Do you remember Liars? Yes. I remember trying to listen to them and it was atonal and terrible and I couldn't. Mm, yeah. How about you? Like, there was so many bands back then that I know for a fact were being paid to be liked because it was like, <laughs> yeah, I didn't like that. But he was dating Karen. Oh, that was his yeah. like, thing. Angus. And he was so tall. What about adults? I can the phone, can the phone. It's so scary. I love that record. A little tiresome at times, actually, to hear yeah. too much adult because like, it's a very like stark sound. But I love that they're like white Detroit uh, techno. I know Detroit. You have to give it up for Detroit techno white people. Do you remember? Do you remember some records they would play that were like not of the era? Like I remember Push It by Salt and Peppa was like yes. a club fake classic. And my friend Bella Black and I would when they do the part where they're like, "This song is only for the sexy people." We would like push people off the dance floor and be like, "Sexy people only." It's like sexy people only. Ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous. That's how it we would roll. It was it was having fun. Um, what was another one? Uh, I feel like Welcome to the Jungle. They would play there a lot. I, mashups. I, you didn't. You okay, oh, I have. Okay, mashups. Okay, so mashups were whole thing. the whole thing. That was that like, came out of that year. It was internet based, but it was like eventually there was like this club here, Booty at DNA Lounge. Yes. Like was a huge. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what you think of mashups. I got into them and then out of them real quick. <laughs> I thought it was you know novel, but like I I can't imagine like going to an entire night where like everything is a mashup. I would DJ once in a while, and so I would play throw some in, but Same. like yes, mm-hmm. I yeah. Uh, fun but yeah what wasn't that also a weird wasn't it like a lesbian and like a gay guy couple are they do you remember really that? Weird. i did not like the booty people i did yeah, not like booty were, i didn't like the dna lounge because it's big and i get a little claustrophobic yeah, kind good. of like that upstairs area uh, upstairs so one time i was upstairs and i was in this like <laughs> there's like a chapel room there's like a room above a room above a room and you're in this like closet dancing and i realized that the exit sign i was looking at was actually like just a reflection and like where i thought i could get out like i had this whole oh, no. moment where I was like, oh, there's only actually that tiny little door out of there. And I'm in the, the castle. I'm in the top of the castle, basically. Yeah, Booty capitalized on mashup. It's boring to listen to the whole night, though. You are yeah. completely correct. And I feel like there was the Can't Get uh, You Out of My Mind record, though, by Kylie Ming No. Oh, uh, that which was, was a, great like, a, a big record for her. And there was an official mashup with Blue Monday. And that was like kind of like the moment I feel like uh, I feel like I remember hearing it on the radio and being like on like uh, Wild 94.9, probably <laughs> or, like, on one of like, them dance shows and being like, damn, um, how about one or two? Wait, what about do you remember Hot Hot Heat? They're not really mentioned yes. in this very much. I loved Hot Hot Heat. I did like Hot Hot Heat. Weren't they an L.A. band? I feel like they I think so. I, they feel they midwestern, some... but like fake. So probably LA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like they know. are. I think I knew people that like knew them. But also, did you know Rapture was also a San Francisco band before yeah, they? Think, yeah. They had this like EP I remember, but I don't like didn't know they were from here ever. Actually, no. Yeah, they. Um, Fascinating. Luke, yeah, they were. They pl- used to play around, and I. They were Luke was always popular, but I didn't ever like 
think that their music was that great anyway well until the ep there's that out of the races song and it's like it's very grating to me uh, again i think without the help of the remix it wasn't really the, the well, other they, rapture single they all they came from like the emo like screamo scene totally, in san yes, diego yes. and like a lot of like they were like adjacent to like the locust and stuff so like was it like do you remember math rock yes just, <laughs> what the heck I, I don't know wait what about the faint ah, the faint yes. The, the fame was like so huge. People, <laughs> okay, I worked at the movie theater and like the high school kids were like so into the faint. Like I remember that when the faint played, like having a staffing crisis. I didn't see the faint when they played the catalyst in Santa Cruz because I was a manager or whatever. I was like, fuck, who's going to run this thing? It was um huge. There was the dance macabre. I think I'm, they're, oh my gosh. Oh, what? They're like, I guess how to describe them. Like a punky synth pop band. I don't know. They yeah. were great. I, I don't what know. happened to them? They, I think, they put out albums still sometimes. I don't know. I don't really know who was in it. I don't wasn't connected to them in any kind of way. They were great. Oh, what about okay? This and it's like chick chick chick. They say it's yes. just three exclamation points. Yes. That's uh, one. To, I did I I like chick chick chick. Me too. And they had that they, like, again. It was the dance song that was their good one. Yeah, the the Giuliani one. They reminded me a lot of God damn it. What's the like a lot of that post punk like New York? No way. Totally. Is it Optimo? Who's Liquid Liquid? Like liquid, kind of like liquid. on that like tip that that actually that whole era made me get into like more like post-punk and stuff and like same same yeah um go down that rabbit hole which was is fun and then there's also like a lot of like weird band bands like james white and the blacks and i'm just okay like, I don't so know what since this you is. know that okay so next time spendy we're gonna let's go back to the 80s next time because you have a seem to have a familiarity all of this stuff you write is built on something that actually had already the same thing had already happened basically once before yeah. what we lived through was actually just a recreation of something that happened before which i also kind of started to explore after and it's it's still there's so much to be and um, there's still so much to be discovered in that rich era there's a lot of crazy music from early 80s we'll pick up there next time we i, I think sync up on the air but yeah what do you have some uh, do you have i some want you to get parts, vincent please? gallo on to talk about the 80s <laughs> new york scene and uh i mean what he's been doing lately well we'll see vince uh, he might be listening if you are listening please contact uh dj bullhouse at gmail.com um but i'll see if i can get in touch with his people Wait, he was in a band a... called gray with basquiat oh that's so. right yeah no he was what was the other was there, there another was basquiat that, band? speaking of post-punk no i was uh, just looking up the funhouse uh website it was like funhouse merch from uh, jelly beans club we'll have to go body rocking next time some electric <laughs> boogaloo and some post-punk uh take the uptown train back downtown, et cetera. Oh, wait, one last last thought though. Okay, I have to pitch this to you. Last uh, episode or two episodes ago, we were chatting with Daft Man. He was telling me about his mom was kind of like based and he wasn't really at first and he came around to it. He, he pitched her as an interview basically. And I was like, I wonder if Spendy and her mom would be down. Maybe, would you be down for a base mom's round table discussion at any point? Just putting it out there, floating this idea of Kids who were not necessarily that based and their parents who were round table discussion, like the high, I think like it, high wire. <laughs> it sounds amazing. Um, I did hear that with that. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm I, glad. I related to it. Um, my mom recently left me a message reminding me to turn my phone off. And if I had a Faraday cage, 
for my phone to put it in there during the emergency national emergency alert system. And she told me that it'd be fine if I just wrapped it in foil. And then when I told her that I didn't do any of those, she was horrified. And then she proceeded to tell me about anything I heard about a, a, um, anyone in Iran being beat was just propaganda made up by the U S government. And then I said, and then I was like, okay, mom, I got to go. But um, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm mad. I feel like I should use, I could have used that foil advice. That's really smart. I wish I'd thought was of that. Was your phone on? No, I turned it off. But then when I turned it back on, it chirped at me. I was very upset. Like I got a little bit of it. I think the whole thing is just so, so weird. An emergency test. It, it, it's bizarre. It was very bizarre is what I will say. Uh, talk to your mom. See if she might be interested. Yeah, we can try to organize. I think it could be an interesting discussion i've never done a, a round table but i think we could do it i think it'd be really fun i don't think that's been done before i think it'll be really interesting <laughs> um, but otherwise we will definitely uh, have to talk again spendy about the an era that we actually will have to talk about how old we are because it's not our era the, the 1980s because i have a lot uh, of fun learning i was just a well. child i can actually say i was just a child i was just i was not there actually i was there because of my time traveling it's complicated but i was <laughs> i was there um spendy this has been so much fun i'm so glad we were able to chat this evening i think we we really took people to the proto roots of their indie sleaze addiction we exposed the real light on what it was my closing thought is don't get caught up in the corporate part of it all i always try to like make something out of something just have fun um where can people find you, Ms. Spendy Williams? Uh, you can find me on X, formerly known as Twitter, at kites, the letter R. <laughs> kites are fun. That's the only place you can find me. If you it's, find me being passive aggressive, just don't say anything. Mind your business. It's I'm probably ovulating and that's why it's happening. Even us old ladies, it still happens. I'm sorry to tell you. I feel like my mostly like male audience will probably they don't follow a lot of women always, but they will follow Spenny because you're smart. You don't project your women's business onto all the rest of us. You go and you sit in a room like you're supposed to, wrapped in blankets yeah, or whatever. I, I tried not. <laughs> I, I tried not to spurg out or trad wife out too much. I like to be unclassifiable and uh, mysterious to not push anyone into mm. any kind of a uh, niche. That's noble of you. But I'm I still go- not for everyone. So follow yeah. at your own risk. It's fair. I go through PMS. <laughs> all day every day on the timeline and it's you know it's just what you do it's called post my syndrome or whatever i don't know um spendy thank you again for joining us do you have any final thoughts for the the audience well in light of my move to texas i would say that i would recommend moving to where people don't hate you even though pool house is located in a place where the majority of people would hate him if they knew his inner thoughts. Mm-hmm. He's still managing to <laughs> to live a life that is seems fulfilling for now. But if you have the opportunity, I would suggest moving to a place that there's going to be less friction and at least people just leave you alone at the very least. If you have a family, if you're a single person or you're a gay, mm-hmm. maybe it doesn't matter as much <laughs> for you. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make you laugh. That was it was good advice. <laughs> <laughs>